How are you guys this evening? Excellent. My name is Ryan Putman, and uh, it is a joy to get to be with you tonight uh, and bring greetings from Williams Baptist, uh, where I serve. And uh, I'm just delighted that uh, Dr. Reeves invited me, and Josh Mosley had something to do with that. He, 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 he asked me, so I said yes. Even though I knew Josh, I still said yes and agreed to do it. So there's that. And uh, so uh, let, me, let me just open us up with a word of prayer tonight. We'll jump in and I'll give you my reaction and my thoughts to some of the things in the, the book. And we will, I think we'll have a good conversation. Father, we approach the throne of grace tonight with confidence, knowing that uh, Jesus is our intercessor, that Jesus always lives to intercede for us that He makes a way that we can relate to You, Father. Even though we are imperfect, even though we are frail, even though we so often fall short of what uh, You have for us in our lives, You love us still. And uh, I pray that tonight, as uh, Dr. Reeves so eloquently put it, that we would abide in You, that we would hear Your Word, that we would listen very carefully and that, uh, God, you would change our lives and transform us in the process. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Amen. All right, well, excellent. Well, I am so glad to, uh, to be with you guys tonight. Just as a curiosity, have any of you read the book yet? Read the book yet? Some of you have read? I, I'm a professor, so one of the things I like to do is ask, have you done your homework, okay? And so uh, there, I'm going to expect you to read it, and we're going to have a book review, and uh, there's going to be a quiz. All these things, I know I'm not going to put all that pressure on you, but I would strongly encourage you to, uh, to take the opportunity to do that. So a lot of the stuff that I'm going to say tonight will be sort of not only from Dr. Reese's book, but I'm also going to be interacting it and kind of throwing in some of my own uh, things, and, and hopefully this will be... A good and fruitful conversation. But let me just start off by asking, was there something that you wanted to be as a kid that maybe maybe you are right now? Was there something you, what did you want to be as a kid? You wanted to be a teacher. You had that very teacherly look about you. I, I figured that out. The, the, the Jonesboro hurricane, you, you gave it away. Okay, so you wanted to be a teacher. You aspired to be a teacher and you became a teacher. Anybody else? Aspire to do something that they're actually doing as an adult? All right, okay. Now let me just throw it out there. What did you aspire to be as a child versus where you are now? All right, let me just throw that out. Did you have something you really truly wanted to be when you were a kid? Yes, that was, that was my third grade aspiration, too. So, yes. Major, and I'm guessing you, you, you're a minor league player right now, right? Is that, is that what it is? Retired from the game? What, what is it that you do now? Okay, middle school. Well, that's, that's kind of the same thing, really. That's, that's, that's basically the same job. I mean, it's a lot of coaching and, and, and playing around and that sort of thing. All right, what else? Anybody else? I wanted to be a police officer. You wanted to be a police officer? And I'm guessing you're not now? I'm not. I'm a youth minister by myself. 
Well, that means, again, being a youth minister, being a police officer, you two probably could swap stories. I mean, there's probably, there's probably a lot of comparison there. So I don't have the clip for you, and I'm, I'm not going to spare you of it, but I found this. I was in my, in my uh, for Christmas this year, I got a, one of those VHS to digital recorders. Now, for those of you who don't know up here, VHS <laughs> were these black plastic boxes that they used to shove in these things called VCRs, all right? And we would push record and push play. And I, again, I know y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But, uh, but I, I got this, this box of, of things to convert my old VCR tapes over to digital because I wanted to back them up and get rid of my, get rid of my old VHS tapes. And I found this tape of me on a local TV program from northeast Mississippi in the late 80s. And if you know anything about northeast Mississippi, we're 10 years behind everybody else anyway. Uh, so, I mean, it looked like a 70s program, but it was the late 80s. And, I, and it, just things you wouldn't, again, do today. We, there was a strange man, and I, I sat in his lap, and he asked me questions. And, uh, and this was all televised, and this was recorded. And, and I, you know, I sound British now, but I used to have a twang. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I got in and under his lap, and he asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, Santa Claus. And he asked, what are you going to bring me if you're Santa Claus? A bag of diapers. And then he, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a hysterical display, but apparently... When I was four years old, I wanted to be Santa Claus. And then later down the road, I think, I think third or fourth grade, I had that aspiration of being a Major League Baseball player. And I don't think I could have made the fifth grade team at school, let alone the majors. Uh, then later, I, I had this aspiration. I wanted to be the President of the United States. And then later, I wanted to be a, a, a film school I was a student, I wanted to go on and become a movie director. I could look at all this laundry list of things that I wanted to do. Never in my wildest elementary school dreams did I envision, one day I'm going to be an academic dean. That's my great goal and aspiration, as any small child would ever, would ever dream of being. That's, that's what I want to do, is deal with accreditation and deal with deal with faculty affairs and all those sorts of things. That's, that's everything that every, every kid wants to be. Sometimes God writes your story in a slightly different way than you initially plan for things. And the same thing is true in the Christian life, I think. If we look back at the Christian life, if we look back at where we've been and where we're going, I, I don't know about you guys, but... but, but I look back in my Christian life and I'm thinking, man, I, I, I sort of should be further along right now than I am. I look back in retrospect and I think, man, in, in, in five or six years, I, I won't even deal with these sins anymore. In, in ten years, I'm going to be the most effective evangelist that I could possibly be. And in 15 years, I'm going to have all this together. And then, you know, you look back and now I'm, 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 I'm coming up on on what will be uh, nearly 30 years of following Jesus, and I'm thinking, goodness gracious, I still don't have it all together. I'm not exactly where 
I wanted to be when I started out. But as I think Dr. Reeves points out very well in his book, following Jesus is not an overnight thing. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you have instant success in the Christian life. And sometimes it takes a long time to get where you're going. And uh, the Gospel of John records a story for us. It records several stories, but one of the figures that we encounter along the way is Peter. And Peter, of course, was known. His birth name was Simon, all right? Simon was the brother of Andrew. And all four Gospels record the calling of Simon, though John has a different emphasis. John's story is different than the other Gospel writers in a lot of ways. I, I call John the, the red-headed... The, 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 the red-headed step gospel, okay, in certain ways, because it's, no offense to redheads, I, I have two redheads at home, but it's, it's, it's very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the way that it reads, the way that it tells Jesus' story, and the way that it tells the, the, the specific things that go on in the lives of those who encounter Jesus. And, and as you're going to see this weekend, as you read in the Gospel of John, as you, as you hear these sessions, John has his own unique vocabulary. John uses words in a way that are very different. We would put a big deal and a big emphasis on the words that John uses. Let me begin here in John 1.35 and we'll proceed. The next day... John was standing with two of his disciples. Speaking here, he's not speaking about himself. He's speaking about John the baptizer, John the Baptist, all right? He's standing around with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And the disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Okay, so that's again what we, what we just heard this, this, this sort of encounter. What do you expect? What are you hoping for? And there were a lot of built-in expectations about what the Messiah would be. You know, we, in retrospect, think about the Messiah as entering the world as a, as a, as a, as a lowly individual who was... He was born in a manger. He was raised the son of a, a lowly carpenter, followed a humble trade, eventually, you know, gathered a small group of followers, died a, a painful death on the cross, and was raised from the dead. That's what we see looking back at the Messiah. But if you can imagine first century Jews living in Israel, they were dominated by a foreign enemy. We don't really know what it's like to be, you know, uh, the little guy when we think about our own national context. We're, we're Americans. We're proud. We, we, we're, we're the greatest country in the world. We're a superpower, probably the only true superpower left standing, maybe besides China. And, and we look 
in our context, and we've got it good, we've got it made, you know, in certain respects. But Israel, they are technically living in the land. Jewish people who are living in the land, but they're at the hands of a foreign oppressor. A foreign oppressor. It'd be like living in the United States and and Canada coming over and taking control of us. Now we laugh because we know that can't possibly happen. But, but that's what it meant to be in Israel. Hey, we're Jewish. We belong to Israel. But day in and day out, we have to walk around and we see Roman soldiers walking up and down the street. And we feel like we are prisoners in our own country. We don't really feel like we're at home. And we are longing desperately for God to fulfill His promises and to send Moshiach, to send Messiah, the Anointed One, who will be our liberator. He will throw us off from the shackles of Rome. He will go to war with Rome. He will fight off our oppressors. He will set up David's kingdom. And it'll be just like we read in the glory days of, of Saul, of David, and of Solomon. Now, if you've ever read the stories of Saul, David, and Solomon, you know they didn't exactly have it perfectly. I mean, it was, it was a pretty rough ride there for a little while with those guys too. But they had these idealistic hopes, these idealist expectations about what Messiah would be, and man, Jesus was probably a huge disappointment to them because he's nothing like what they anticipated. So when John says, hey, who are you looking for? Or this is the Messiah, this is the Lamb of God. And Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And uh, Jesus isn't anything like what they expected. They said to him, Rabbi... And by the way, when you're reading in John right there, it says, Rabbi, he puts in parentheses, which means teacher. Jewish hearers would have known and understood what Rabbi meant, but John is speaking to Gentile audiences as well. He's explaining what that means. He says, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus says, where are you abiding? Jesus says, come and you will see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Again, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, all right? He first found his own brother Simon, and he told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now again, we're, we're pretty accustomed to hearing Peter as a name, all right? But you have to imagine when Jesus encounters uh, Simon, he's given him this name which, is, which sounds more like a nickname, 
than a, than a regular first name, all right? Any, anybody in here fans of, 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 of wrestling, professional wrestling? All right. There, there are four, three guys in here who raise their hands willing to admit it, and, and then, you know, I, I saw you that kind of, kind of embarrassed. All right. So, again, this dates me, and this dates. I used to call Dwayne Johnson the rock, okay? All right. And, and I, I still the rock in my book, but now they call him Dwayne Johnson. He's had that name change. It's, he's done it in reverse. He's gone from being the rock to being Dwayne Johnson, all right? But here, Simon is going from his old name. Hey, now, who's he going to be called? Jesus says, you're going to be called the rock. That's exactly what he says. I'm going to start calling you the rock, all right? And there's a reason why. And Jesus doesn't explain that here, but he explains it elsewhere. But he said, you will be called the rock. You'll be called Peter. And uh, it's significant now. I mean, it will become significant later for Simon, even though it's not initially significant for him upon his first hearing of this name. But the first principle I, I want you to see uh, when we're looking at the life of Peter, and this is, this is very simple. This is almost obvious. Hearing the word, that is, hearing the word of Jesus, means following Jesus. Hearing the word means following Jesus. Now you'll note that when John tells his version of the story, he, he tells this version of the story where, 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 where Simon is brought out and, 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 and he's introduced to Jesus by Andrew and, and he just has this encounter. He, he follows Jesus, but there's no real description of what Peter says. Peter's unusually silent at this moment. This is, this is something that we get from Peter. Peter's usually very brash and opinionated. I, I don't know what, what Enneagram Peter would have been, but I'm thinking maybe he was an eight. It just seems like the personality. He just kind of said what he was thinking and just did it. Just did it. That was, that was his personality. Um, but here... Peter doesn't really say anything in John's account. However, what I do want you to see is what Peter does in some of the other gospel accounts. All right, again, as, as Dr. Reeves pointed out, these are what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason they're called synoptic is because that comes from a word meaning to see together. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke... They're very, very, very similar in certain respects. John, again, is the odd gospel. It's the different one, all right? Mark, which was probably written first, has the least amount of detail, all right? And Matthew and Luke add in more detail. They have some details that they share together that aren't in Mark, but they also have some unique details that are Unique to them, like uh, you know, Luke has his version of events regarding the, the, the birth narrative and the resurrection narrative, and Matthew has his unique 
series of, 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 of birth narratives and resurrection narratives and other details in between. But when you put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, you see that while they don't tell the same details, I don't think they contradict each other. I think there's, there's a harmony and there's a cohesion to what they're doing. But they have different theological emphases. I want you to see what happens in Mark's gospel when, when we see uh, him describe Peter's calling. And by the way, Mark is the one who's, who's known for his brevity and being short and to the point. My mother tells me I don't know how to tell the short version of any story. I know how to make it longer and longer and longer and more detailed. Mark knew how to keep it short. And he does this. He says, as he passed along the side the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So I, again, the details are a little bit different here than what we see in John. My suspicion is it's because it happens on a different day, all right? Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mark uses this word a lot here. He says immediately. He says they dropped what they were doing. They followed Jesus. So, again, the, the picture that I get here of Peter's conversion or Peter's initial following Jesus is he saw the value in following Jesus. He dropped what he was doing, and he changed his course of life. And I think for a lot of us, uh, our conversion experience might be like that. We, we might have had a moment where we just saw very plainly, hey, I need Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to go where Jesus takes me, and we have a very quick, sudden sort of change of action. We change the course of our life. Luke tells us a little bit more detail. Luke tells us this. We, we have this, this issue where, where Simon is coming in from fishing and they've had a completely lousy night trying to catch fish. And, of course, this is their livelihood. It's not like they can, they can you know, go to McDonald's and, and put it on a charge card if, if, if they can't catch fish. But he's had this lousy night. They've, 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 they've had nothing and so Jesus says, all right, guys, let's get back out in the boat. And, and, and Simon is, is visibly frustrated. Jesus, what are you talking about? Why do you want to go back out on the water? He says, let's go back out on the water. Let's try again. And so Jesus, you know how the story goes. What happens? They throw the nets out, and what happens? They, they catch so many fish that it breaks the nets. Because again, Jesus was able to do something miraculous. He was able to work this wonder. That particular miracle is not recorded in John's gospel. But when Simon Peter sees this miracle, he falls at Jesus' knees and he says, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. There's a recognition that he's in the presence of someone different. He's in the presence of someone unique. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. 
And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. And they brought their boats to the land. I love this description. They left everything and they followed him. Again, this isn't exactly the way John tells the story, but there's, there's a coherence to this account. The idea that, hey, if you're going to hear the word, you're going to follow Jesus. And it means going where Jesus takes you. The next thing I want you to see is that hearing the word involves believing Jesus. Hearing the word involves believing Jesus. And this shows up in just a second in, in Peter's narrative as well. But this is what Jesus says in John 5.24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. If anyone hears my word and believes him who sent me, he will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. Now, the word here is a word that can have obviously multiple meanings the way that we use it in English, but the way it's used in Greek, it, it, it means something more than simply hearing a sound, all right? It comes from the Greek word akuo, which we get the word acoustics from, right? The, the way we talk about modern acoustics or sound system. Again, there's a sense in which you can hear words that are coming out of a person's mouth and not process or understand what they're saying, all right? Now, there, there was a saying sometimes in my house when I deliberately disobeyed my mother, but she would sometimes ask me, can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, all right? I knew she wasn't really concerned about my physical hearing, all right? You know what I'm talking about? She wasn't concerned about whether I needed hearing aids in a in a literal sense, at least not then, okay? And that's probably changing as time goes on. But what she was concerned about was, are you listening? You understand what the difference there? Because when you hear something audibly, that's one thing. But listening involves something else. It involves careful attention to what is being said. We have this really bad habit, I think, in our culture. And I, and, I, and I noticed it in my own house all the time. I can have the TV on in the background. I can have, I can have a laptop in my lap. I can have a, a, a phone sitting there in my chair. I've got all these sound sources coming to me. It's so easy for me to be distracted and to completely tune out. Are any of you like that too? I mean, I am, I, I've never been tested for ADD, but I'm, I'm, I'm self-certified. I'm convinced I have it. I can hear all this stuff, but that doesn't mean I'm willfully and intentionally listening. Okay? 
So Jesus says you have to hear my words. Beyond that, you have to obey the words. Because to listen to God's word is not simply to hear it. Yes, it's to be able to hear it, it's to be able to read it. There's another level, you have to understand it. Or at least understand it to the degree that you can be obedient to it. Doesn't mean you know all the mysteries of God's word, but you can, you can, you can understand it on a level that say, Jesus, if I'm going to follow you, if I'm going to be in relationship with you, I have to grasp the basics of what you're saying. And, and then beyond that, you have to be able to obey and to understand on a level that, uh, that, that sometimes we miss. Now, I want to I read a section to you from, from Dr. Ray's book because I thought this was very interesting. There's this sort of dialogue that plays out between Jesus and Peter. And, uh, and, and what Dr. Reeves illustrates, I think, very well is that sometimes Jesus will be saying something and Peter will sort of like, yeah, oh yeah, I hear you, Jesus. Oh yeah, I hear you, Jesus. It's sort of like when I'm trying to tell my son instructions about what he needs to do. He's already thinking sometimes about how he can just quickly get through this and be compulsive and not actually pay attention, not actually listen to what he needs to do, the steps, the directions. This is what's happening with Jesus and Peter. He says, Jesus, what I'm doing now you don't understand now, but you will later. And this is again talking about the foot washing. And Peter, who's acting, oh yeah, yeah, I got this, Jesus, don't worry. He says, you will never wash my feet. I already understand Jesus. I already understand what you're saying. He's not listening. He's hearing the words, but he's not listening. Not slowing down to think about what Jesus means. He's not trying to understand. Jesus says, well, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you'll, you'll have no part of me. It's John 13. And then Peter, again, acting like he knows what he's talking about, says, then wash my hands and my head too. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the symbol that's going on. He says, Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter, again, acting like he knows what he's talking about, says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. <laughs> and again, so on and so forth. There's several instances in in the life of Peter where he doesn't seem to really know what he's talking about. <laughs> he doesn't really slow down to listen or to understand. So, <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let me for a moment sketch to you a couple of different ways in which we believe things. Okay, And this isn't actually from the Bible. This is from church history. This is Martin Luther. He was a smart dude. He said a lot of things that I thought were really interesting. So let me, let me spell some of these things out for you. There are a couple of different senses of what it means to believe something, okay, or to believe a fact. He uses this word, um, notia, notia which, which is the word from um, which we get notice or acquaintance. And it's the idea of believing a fact, okay? I believe a fact. 
So, um, for instance, uh, help me, help me here. Uh, Joe Biden is the 46th president, is that right, numerically? I can't, 46, okay. I believe Joe Biden is the 46th president of the United States. I'm not absolutely certain, but you gave me that fact. I'm, I, I, that's a proposition, okay? That's a fact, okay? I'm not telling you anything about my political beliefs or how I voted or anything like that. I'm just telling you, hey, it's a fact. This guy is the 46th president of the United States. And it's possible for someone to believe that God exists. It's possible for someone to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died for sins, that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's possible for people to believe these things as a fact and it never makes any real difference in their lives. Okay? See what I'm saying? It's possible for you to believe facts about God and it never make any difference in your life. And I'll give you an example from Scripture. Um, James, talking about the belief uh, of, of, of people, he says that basically, you know, faith without works is dead, that if you don't have a faith that works itself out, uh, then you don't really have true authentic faith. And the analogy he says is, you believe there's one God, I'm paraphrasing here, good for you. Even the demons believe and shake in their boots. All right? The word there is actually shudder. But it's the idea that, yeah, the demons believe that there's a God. The demons believe there's only one God. But do you think demons are faithful followers of Christ? No. So, yes, if you are going to have faith in Jesus, you have to hear His words, you have to believe His words as factual. That's, that's level one. That's, that's only one step, okay? And uh, from, uh, from, from this uh, notatia, we move on to something called a census. A census, and that is to agree with, to assent to, or to approve. All right, uh, you know I I I moved here a, a year ago from uh, from from New Orleans. Everybody in New Orleans is a Saints fan. All right, that's that's that's. I feel your brother Rick and I are, we're having solidarity there. All right. Everybody's a Saints fan. That is a way of life, okay? I mean, it's, it gets in your blood when you're down there. You start to bleed black and gold, okay? I wasn't even a big NFL fan before that. So I could tell you I was a diehard Saints fan. I will root for the Saints. I love the Saints. I enthusiastically believe in the Saints, but for some reason they're never going to invite me to play on the field. I don't know why that's the case. I mean, I, I think I'd be a great linebacker, don't you think? No? No? Okay. It's one thing to be a fan of Jesus. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? It's one thing to be a fan of Jesus. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus. The first one simply, oh, I just believe Jesus exists. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it on an intellectual level. 
Here, you're giving some an emotional approval to it. Oh yeah, I think Jesus is great. Jesus is just all right with me. You know, I mean, you can you can you can have that kind of feeling, that kind of sentiment, and it not be a life transforming sentiment. Okay, so it's not enough simply to have the feeling that that Jesus is Lord. We have to do something else. All right. Then there's a third kind of belief, a third kind of belief, which is equally important, and that is fiducia. And we, we have a, they had the concept of a fiduciary responsibility, that sort of thing, fiduciary. It comes from a word that means to trust, okay? And the idea of faith in the biblical sense is more than intellect. It's more than being a fan in the emotional sense. It also involves genuine trust. Trust in the person of Christ. Faith, confidence, credit. Trusting faith in Jesus. Uh, I have to fly quite a bit for, for work. I'm not crazy about it, but I can do it, right? I mean, I can, I can get on the plane if I need to. And, uh, but if I'm, I'm going to fly in a couple of weeks to, to, to Miami and I'm going to drive down to Key Largo, I'm going to be suffering for Jesus for, for a week in, in South Florida. I'm really, really dreading that. Um, but I'm going to do it for, for your sake. So just, 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 I'm taking the bullet for you. But if I'm going to get down there, it's not enough for me to believe that planes exist to take me to South Florida. It's not even enough for me to be enthusiastic about the idea that planes can get me to South Florida. What do I have to do to get to South Florida? Besides so stay in the car for a long time. What's that? Get on the plane. Get on the plane. And that involves... A level of trust. A level of trust that, hey, I'm, I, I have confidence that, that, that the mechanics have looked at this plane closely enough, that they've observed it, that they've kept up with it, they've refueled it properly. It's a level of trust that that, that pilot has passed his, his pilot's test and that he has sufficient number of hours up in the air, he has sufficient amount of experience that he does this all the time that he can get me from point A to point B. That's what trust essentially is. We entrust ourselves to someone or to something knowing that they are capable of doing what they say they're capable of doing. And see, again... This is just an intellectual thing here. This is a feeling thing. Here, faith requires action. That's again what Jesus is ultimately getting at. To hear me is more than believing a series of intellectual statements about me. To hear my word is even more than, than feeling. See, I think that's what Peter was good at. 
Peter was good at the feeling part. Oh yeah, Jesus, I'm down with you. I'll go wherever you go. Jesus, wherever you take me, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's roll, all right? But to actually put action to what he said he was going to do meant so much more than sometimes he was willing and able to do. As we know that Peter would, of course, deny knowing Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. In John's Gospel, he would deny being a disciple of Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. So, again, it takes action. It takes stepping out and trusting in faith in Jesus. And we can't really hear Jesus unless we understand and obey. We can't really hear Jesus unless we take that next step and we understand and obey. So it's not just about, not just about hearing the words. It's about listening to the words. It's about seeking to make sense of them and seeking to live them out. John 6, 66. I think this might be the most depressing verse in the entire Bible. I preached on this a few weeks ago at a conference down south, and um, this text just turns my stomach. I, I, again, it's, it's ironic that it is John 666, okay? But John 666, Jesus gave a really tough set of instructions, described who he was, and, and people had difficulty processing what he said. And he said, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. We're in a, an age right now where where one of the trends are people deconstructing their faith, deconverting from the faith, telling their stories about how I came out of church culture and now I've decided to, to live a life where I've rejected traditional Christian beliefs. Again, some of the, the people that were my heroes in Christian subculture two decades ago are now professing atheists. And so I think this is a tragic thing, but it's... It's something, of course, Jesus said would happen. It's something the New Testament describes. But I love, love, love Peter's response to this. So Jesus asked the twelve. He turns around and he said, You don't want to go away too, do you? Peter's response is this. Lord, to whom will we go? Where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I just love that statement. All these people are abandoning Jesus. Where else could we go? What else in this world could we turn to? You, Jesus, ultimately are the one who has life. So for all the, the dumb things that Peter says and does everywhere else in the gospel, and we pick on Peter a lot for the dumb things that he does, here he gets it so right. 
He says, we've come to believe and know you're the Holy One. You're the Holy One of God. And here's something that you got to see. Hearing the Word involves confessing Jesus. Hearing the Word involves confessing Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means to confess Jesus tomorrow. But I want you to see this. We confess Jesus. We pronounce Jesus as Lord. We confess together that Jesus is Lord. And by, by the way, the word confess in the Greek literally means we agree together on something. So when we confess our sins before God, we come to God and we agree with God we're a sinner. <laughs> That's essentially what it means. We agree that God knows we're sinners. He just needs us to agree to that proposition. We need to, he need, we need to see us the way that, that he sees us. We confess our sins. We come together and we confess Jesus as individuals, but also as a church, as a body of believers. We make a, we make a profession of faith in baptism. We might also confess together the Apostles' Creed or, 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 or the ancient church creeds where we, we talk about who Jesus is, the pronouncement of who Jesus is. That means we're agreeing together and we're agreeing with God about who Jesus is. Now, Peter has this confession in John 6. Let me take you over to what Mark does in his account. So, Jesus is going with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the road, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they come up with some weird answers. Jesus, uh, some people say that uh, you're John the Baptist reincarnate. Some people say that you're Elijah reincarnate. Others think that you're one of the other prophets reincarnate. I, you know, I think that's pretty weird because... Jews don't typically believe in incarnation. It's not taught in the Bible but they, or the Old Testament, but they had this idea that they were projecting about, about Jesus. And then Jesus turns it on the disciples. He said, but you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. That's again, I love Peter. Just, he just says it honestly, gets straight to the point, tells who he is. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the one that we hoped for. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. And then Matthew gets into this detail. I won't, I won't spend a lot of time out of it. This is where Matthew calls, in Matthew's gospel, this is where Jesus calls Simon Peter, really, for the first time. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. So again, that's what that listening and hearing involves. It's sensitivity to the Word of God as God is speaking to our hearts. And that's followed with this confession. You are the Son of the living God. And here he says, you're the rock. You're Peter. And on this rock I will build the gates, or build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower 
This is the same passage, by the way, that people appeal to to say that Peter was the first pope. That's another conversation for another day. That's not, I think, what Jesus is getting at here. But note, he says that your confession is the rock on which you build your life. This truth that I am the Son of God will be the confession on which the church is built. But then again, we know, we know what happened. Peter, uh, Peter uh, ended up denying Jesus three times, and, and there's this sort of tragic story that unfolds. It said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice he's not calling Simon Peter. He's calling him Simon. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. Second time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. And then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he'd asked the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And then we see this detail. Truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would have to glorify God. After this, he said, follow me. So, to go back to that initial question that I asked you in the beginning, who do you want to be as a follower of Jesus? Are you disappointed that you're not there yet? Well, let me just say this. That hearing the Word of God, that living out the Word of God, that conforming to the image of Jesus, that's what it means to be a Christian in the first place, is to be like Christ. This is a lifelong process. When we read the account of Peter, we see a guy that sometimes he would get it really, really right, and then sometimes he would really, really mess up. And if you feel like a failure as a Christian, I just want you to know a couple of things. That we are in a process of following Jesus, of abiding in Jesus, of relating in Jesus that can last over a lifetime. I'm a, I'm a theologian, so I talk about salvation with using big words sometimes that no one else understands. Let me just pause for a second and show you something. The Bible talks about salvation in the past tense. You have been saved if you've trusted in Christ. You've begun that relationship with Him. You are justified. You're declared right on the basis of what Jesus has done. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. That's the word that John uses, is the word born again. It means that the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in you and makes you a new person. It doesn't mean that overnight that you've got it all together, that it's easy for you. What it does mean is that you have the Holy Spirit of God and now over time you can be more like Jesus. 
We've been saved. But we're also being saved. Now, I don't mean this in the sense of you're being saved by your works or by anything like that. You've been declared right. You're going to heaven. God sees you like he sees Jesus because we've been united to Jesus. That's in the past. But in the present, right now, as we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us makes us more like Christ. He sanctifies us. And over time, we become set apart. We become holy. We become different. And then there's a future tense. Glorification. The sense in which one day, when we, this life as we know it comes to an end, we'll no longer deal with sin. We'll no longer struggle with its effects. We look forward to a blissful future with Christ forever. So, if you're feeling discouraged about not being where you wanted to be at this point in your Christian life, I just look at Peter. Ups and downs, ebbs and flows. Guess what happened after Jesus was raised from the dead? He still had sin to deal with. And, and the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Peter was a new man. He was bold. And he was the, the same guy that had denied knowing Jesus three days or three times the night before Jesus died. Now was preaching to thousands about Jesus with confidence. And people were getting saved and lives were being changed. And then we read in Galatians, Peter was, was causing trouble again. A life full of ups and downs. Because to be a follower of Jesus, guess what? We are all works in progress. That's a good thing. So abide in Christ and let God do that work. Let me close this in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, thank you for this, this word that Dr. Reeves has given us. God, thank you for your word, and uh, I pray, Lord, that we would take this message that's been stated so clearly uh, tonight to heart that we all need the life-transforming power of the gospel. We need Jesus, but it is a slow, methodical process full of ups and downs. May we live and dwell in you and experience your grace in abundance. Ask these things in Jesus' name.